This is Growing Your Successful Business, the podcast for you, the entrepreneur, to learn valuable lessons from the experiences of fellow business owners sharing the secrets of their success and the critical lessons they have learned along the way, as well as experts giving their advice on how to navigate the pitfalls in their industry to help you better run your business. Here's your host, Brian Harding. Hey now, and good day. Thanks for stopping by to check out our podcast today. Want to remind you to not be afraid to share our podcast with a friend or an associate. You can subscribe, share, rate, and review, all that fun stuff. You can reach me at growingyoursuccessfulbusiness.com or brianlharding.com. All the different listening platforms for our podcast can be found there. You can find out how to get to Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts, all that stuff. You can also shoot me an email at brian at brianlharding.com. And today we've got a pretty exciting story for you to hear. We've got Mark Robinson with uh, Pro Tool Supply. Let me tell you a little, about, uh, little bit about uh, Pro Tool Supply real quick. Um, Pro Tool Supply is the biggest little store in Tacoma, about 3,800 square feet, packed full of over 9,000 items in stock every day. And the employees, here's a great benefit. The employees actually know what they're talking about, and they're willing to help you. It's not the big box uh, store approach. It's the right approach. Pro Tool has been in business for over 15 years. They have, a long-term, they have long-term employees with a combined 50-plus years of tool knowledge. They specialize in automotive and hard-to-find automotive tools. If they don't have a tool you need in stock, they can get most items delivered within 48 hours. And if they can't get the item you need in 48 hours, they'll point you in the right direction to find it. The business has been family-owned and family-ran since its inception in 2004. They are located at 8638 Pacific Avenue in Tacoma, or you can reach them at 253-539-5579. So, Mark Robinson, welcome. How you doing, Brian? Doing well, bud. Glad you could stop by. Thanks for coming in today. Sure appreciate it. I appreciate you having me here. Yeah, so you have a pretty fantastic story, and I don't want to muddy it up by by putting my version out there. So why don't you just uh, kind of take us through it, and I'll I'll interject here and there, but mostly want to hear you tell folks uh, what your story is here and how you how you got to be where you're at with a, a successful business you have, and you've had a quite a path to get there. So lay it on us, man. Well, Brian. I'm going to jump back about 40 years. I just turned 50 this year, so I'm going to go way back to about teenage years. And uh, I grew up in a fairly normal household. Uh, By the time I was in my early teens, my dad had a business located at our house. He did glass and upholstery. And, you know, he kind of wanted me to work with him. And about that time, I kind of figured out that getting high was more fun than working. And that was probably a poor decision on my part. Yeah, but not uncommon. Not uncommon, but a poor decision. And you know, I kind of took it and ran with it. And over the next few years, I got in a lot of trouble. And, and uh, the parents kicked me out at age 16 on my 16th birthday. Wow. I say I moved out. They say they kicked me out. You know, <laughs> how, however you want to roll with it. Right, but, right, right. But uh, after that, I was uh, did a lot of drinking along with along with getting high. And then I got into a little bit of harder drugs and, and got myself in quite a bit of trouble. Um, the state of Washington invited me to come stay with them for about three years and right without a lot of choice to it. Yeah. So, so that's what I did, you know, and, uh, since then I've done nothing but work, but, uh, after, after getting released from their fancy hotel, uh, I had a nice guy that hired me in a machine shop. I knew nothing about machine work, uh, worked for him for several years. Um, by the time I got done, I was able to run a lot of the machines in the shop just from sheer repetition and, and some right. good employees showing me what to do. And uh, that gentleman finally passed away. Um, actually left me a little bit of money in his will, which was really cool. Nice. So that, that was cool. helpful. Yeah. Uh, and, and this whole time you're on the straight and narrow. So straight and narrow. Been on the straight and narrow since 93 when I 
you know, when, uh, when started you're... back into society, let's okay. say. <laughs> yeah. So you didn't have a, a history coming out, relapsing, and all that kind not of stuff? At all. You, not you, you not one time. You came out, and you, you've been on the straight now since then. Gotcha. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. I'm not saying I don't have a drink, but sure. uh, anything yeah. beyond that, no, not not even the, the legal marijuana in Washington State right. now. Not, right. not for me. But anyhow, uh, after the machine shop shut down, I was on unemployment for a short period, and I ran into my best friend's dad from, the you know, when I was growing up. And he sold and repaired printing equipment. Well, he said, hey, you know, I could use somebody else in my warehouse. And so uh, I went to work for him. And uh, that lasted for three or four years. Well, in, in the meantime of doing this, directly across from his business was a local auction house. And that auction house at that time was buying semi-loads of Circuit City's customer returns, electronics. And at that time, eBay was just kind of getting really started up and going heavy. And so I was buying these pallets of electronics for, I don't know, I think it was like 800 bucks and testing things to make sure they work, put them on eBay. And, and uh, within about three weeks, you could turn that 800 bucks into 2,500 bucks if you just stayed at it and, right. and worked with it, you know, with some variables, of course. Sure. Um, then Circuit City decided that their truckloads were worth a lot more money and that ended that, you know. And right about this time, I got married. And so married with wife, with she had two kids from a previous marriage. And and so family's going and, and uh, you know, then the auction house started getting pallets of Harbor Freight's customer returns, and I started buying those. And uh, same thing, 800 bucks a pallet, and I started doing sales in my driveway. Right. Uh, and, you know, because I was on unemployment again, uh, I was doing driveway sales every day, unless it was pouring down rain. Well, over the course of about three months, I did about $90,000 in my driveway and kind of figured out that, hey, this might be a viable yeah. viable business, you know? Right. And in this same, same short period, I met somebody else at the auction that back in the 80s and 90s had local tool stores. And so we got to talking and, and he said, well, why don't we throw, throw a little bit of money into account and see what we can build it to. So we both threw in 1500 bucks and, uh, you know, started buying stuff, sending it to the auction, putting it on eBay, just wherever we could buy it, you know, trying to, trying to build that account up. And then, uh, there was a store in Tacoma called hometown liquidators, uh, that we bought out. And uh, the the company had moved out of the building in the middle of the night and abandoned all their inventory, owing the landlord a whole bunch of rent. Right. So he wanted ten thousand dollars for every in the, everything in the building, and we argued back and forth, and wound up buying it for I think four thousand. Uh, we hauled truckload after truckload after truckload out of there, and uh, in the end, we turned that four thousand into fifteen or sixteen thousand over the course of sixty days or so. So that was a big boost to our account. Sure. And by this time, that's, that's, that's about where I hit the end of summer and going into bad weather and, you know, there's no more garage sales. Yeah. You know? I can't be raided on so, all the time. So the crowd you were, when you were selling this stuff out in your driveway, the crowd you were looking for was kind of the garage sale crowd. Is that who you were catching? Anybody that was driving down the road, I was fortunate to be on a main drag. I was going to ask you, you know, you hear in retail, location, location, location. So where, you know, I was going to ask you where your driveway was. That was 93rd and Portland Avenue. Okay. Yeah. 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 And my wife had a store there also. Uh, and I was kind of in the driveway of the store, but there was times when I had 20 plus eight foot tables out there of stuff, plus, wow. you know, bigger stuff, drill presses and band yeah, saws and right. cement mixers, all right, this right. kind of stuff. So, um, so anyhow, you, you buy the place that, that the guy owed the landlord a ton of money right. and, and, uh, you're off to the next phase. Then when, once you pull that off. 
Well, and, and at that point, you know, like I said, that's where the end of summer was. And I talked to my, my partner at the time, his name was Marty. And, and I told him, you know, I'd like to open a store. And he was just about to the point of retiring. And so he started looking around for a building and he said, well, maybe, you know, so then I found a building, talked to him again about it. And he agreed to, to go partners with me on this store. And, uh, on, on, again, on the fortunate side, he had money, you know, he'd, he'd had a union job for 29 years, made some good investments, blah, blah, blah. Right. Um, and, and kind of showed me the ropes a little bit of the business side of things. Um, and he had some co contacts from when he had the tool stores back in the eighties and nineties. And so our first purchase for the store was we bought 55 pallets of tools if I remember right, I think it was like twelve thousand mm -hmm. uh, dollars. That's just a ton of stuff, you right. know? and and oddly enough, the amount of pallets was just about the same amount of dollars of wholesale value that was there. So we bought it like twenty percent, twenty five percent on the dollar, and, yeah. And that really filled the store up, along with still buying the Harbor Freight returns. Mm -hmm. You get two bad drill presses, piece two together, and have one good one, and beat their price by a hundred bucks or something, right? You know? So that worked out really well. Um, so along the way, there's just some other really good deals that came along, um, still buying discounted merchandise, like where we bought the big load at, but we started buying loads of, uh, uh, damaged freight, like from Roadrunner, you know, some of the trucking outfits. Right. And, and one day that guy called me and he says, Hey, I, I got a couple pallets of, uh, cable boxes sitting here. And I said, well, I don't you know. You mean what, like TV cable? TV cable yeah. boxes. Yeah, okay. yeah. And I'm like, well, I don't know what to do with those. He said, well, come down and take a look. And he said, a year ago, we were hauling a lot of these cable boxes. Well, they loaded two extra pallets on the truck one time. We told them they did. And they argued with us and told, said, no, we didn't. So they've been sitting there for a year. They wouldn't take them back or anything. Right. So I looked, and it's just the cable boxes. There's no remotes even. I'm thinking... Well, cable boxes have remotes. You got to be able to turn things on and off. Right. So I didn't know what to do, you know? And he said, well, give me 500 bucks for both pallets. All right, I'll take a chance for 500. Sure. You know, sure yeah. Why not? So then I started doing some research and I found this guy in Florida uh, that apparently sold cable boxes. I don't remember now. It's been a lot of years. Yeah. But, but uh, we kind of came to an agreement on the phone or, or, or back and forth a little bit. And the guy called me and said, well, you know, I could probably do 26,000, you know, and I'm on this end just <laughs> yeah, giddy as hell, yeah, you know no what I kidding, mean? So yeah. I said, well, you know, all right. And I kind of played it off a little bit. Like, well, let me think about it. Yeah. I called him back the next day. You kind of think, all right, we can take that. Yeah, I guess 26,000 will do this time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but then I said, well, uh, I don't know you. You don't know me. How are we going to make this happen? And he says, well, how about I'll take a risk? You, I'll wire transfer you half the money. Right. You ship this stuff to me, and when I get it, I'll send you the rest of the money. Right. So he wire transfers thirteen thousand. We ship him the stuff. Guy never sends the money. Right. Ever. So I talked to a buddy of mine, and that that happened to be an attorney, and he says, "Well, it's kind of a funky deal." He said, "It's going to be really tough to to go after this guy." He says, "So why don't you do this?" Just call this guy back and tell him you've got four more pallets of these cable boxes. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. So so that's what I did. And I told the guy, I said, now this time though, I gotta have the money up front because I haven't paid for these yet. So I've got to have the money up front. Right. Guy wire transfers me fifty two thousand dollars. Oh my goodness. All the money up front. 
And my, my lawyer friend, he says, I'd just keep his money. But I said, oh, geez. I said no, I can't do that. You can't you do know? that, yeah. I can't do that. So what I did was I told our, uh, I told the gal that worked at the store, which was my business partner's uh, other half at the time, I said, you know, if this guy calls, just tell him I'm on vacation. So I waited about two weeks. And then, because uh, at that time I worked in the store, not in the warehouse. We were, we were right. actually working the store as owners still. But um, I finally, this guy calls and he catches me on the phone. And I told him, I said, well, you know, that, that, that thing kind of fell through. You know, I didn't get the cable boxes. I said, so I already wired transferred you your money back because I'd, I'd just done it, you know. Yeah less the 13,000 that you owe me. Well, you can't do that. That's not my money. That was my customer's money. It doesn't matter. You yeah. owe me the money. I'm right. keeping my money. So right. anyhow, in the end, we got paid for that deal. 20, 26 grand on, uh, 500 on 500 bucks. bucks. So yeah. 52 yeah, times yeah. your investment. That's yeah. That's yeah. not a bad, uh, did you celebrate that or did you just reinvest it? I don't think we kept you the money. We probably just reinvested it, you yeah. know, and, and that's what we did for years and years was reinvest in, in, uh, with the theory that, you know, things went really well. I mean, we opened in 2004. Money was flowing then. 2004, right. 2005, 2006, 2007, then everything went to hell. Right. So we'll, we'll talk about the, the recession here in a second. You and I were talking before we, we lit up the mics here and we're, we're just kind of BSing as we were getting things set up. We were talking about folks who, when they're early on in the stage of starting their business and kind of growing it and they get that first taste of success – how a lot of folks just go out and go bananas and start oh, buying RVs and boats and cars and stuff. Yeah, how, how, did, how did you have the discipline? I mean, listen, I'm a pretty disciplined guy, but $52,000 or $26,000 is that's a lot of cash when you invested $500. How did you have the discipline to not take at least half of it or a third of it and just go bananas and buy something? I think my business partner at the time was probably a good influence in that respect. I mean, it's been a long time ago, Brian, but. Uh, he had money and he was, he was kind of a little on the conservative side. And so I think he was probably a good influence. Um, and at the time, you know, we're trying to build the business. So right. from my history, I'm good with numbers, period. Yeah. I mean, I've got a lot of numbers history. Yeah, so, yeah of course. So, uh, you know, it, it's obvious for me to look at this and go, well, for the amount of money we're making, how many, how many months do we have to go to make that much money? Right. Just, just flat out pure profit. And that's several months worth of business at that time to, yeah. to, to do that. And so I, I think we just kind of mutually agreed, but you're right. It, it is kind of tough to not look at that and go, well, let's each take five grand and go right. buy something. Yeah. yeah. But we didn't do it. We and, and do it. you know, I, you, again, you and I were talking beforehand, I'll kind of catch folks up on our conversation. We were talking about in the beginning, how you had, you know, you starve. And I was telling you about how we, we misspent 200 plus thousand dollars on failed marketing ventures that never actually worked out. And you asked me how we, how we paid for that. If we just borrow the money or we just, you know, whatever. And I, and I said, the answer is we just didn't pay ourselves. We didn't and get paid for, for, you know, two, you know, we didn't get paid for the first year at all. Uh, the second year we started paying ourselves enough to pay our bills. And then the third year after the third year, we started paying ourselves about what we were making when we had jobs. And then of course, since then things have gotten better and we've, you know, we've, as time goes on, as time goes on you, get, you get paid better for your investment. I see, I see a ton of folks, especially in industries where, they're in a revenue producing role, whether it be a service truck in a, in a service company of some sort, or they're the key salesperson or whatever. And they have that first taste of success and they just take the money and blow it. Or they just, you know, I, I deserve this. It's 18 months. I've been busting my ass and I finally deserve this. You know, I, I'm, I'm owed this. And, and it's, and I always, I that's always a bad approach. caution folks. That that's, that's <laughs> pretty short sighted. Yeah. It feels good in the, in the moment, but you know, 
if you're trying to build something, our goal was always to build something bigger and longer. And um, if you had that sprint mentality, yeah, you're gonna have you're gonna have super highs and super lows because you're gonna blow all that money, and then three months later, when the third payroll comes due for the month, you're you in trouble. You're in trouble. Um, I'm always just curious to hear what folks say about how the, what their vision was to keep them from doing that because we we are again we're like you guys we were very we're very conservative. We always want to have good reserves and and we that's really important to us. And if we meet all those things, then okay, yeah, once in a while we'll, uh, we'll take some money I, and have fun with it. I think for me on a personal level. Due to my history, due to the trouble I got in, and and the life I was living pre twenty one, I saw a lot of people that were older and doing drugs. I mean, they're 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 fifty plus years older and doing right. drugs and have nothing. And and where are they going to wind up? Wait, all right, they're going to get Social Security. The minimum Social Security is like six hundred bucks. Right. Y- you can't even live in a cardboard box for six hundred bucks. And, right. And so I think when I got out and and was getting my life together and and. Uh, was making decisions on where I wanted to be and where I wanted to go. That was a big factor is I don't want to hit retirement age and have nothing. Right. And I've had three jobs since 1993 and that's it. And, and two of them, I already told you the third one was opening the store. And so for me personally, it's, it's just drive to not, not be broke when I get older. I want to be able to live it. it yeah. At least somewhat comfortably. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. You, I mean, when you hit that age of retirement, you don't want to, you won't necessarily have the same lifestyle you have, but you don't want to take a 40% drop either, right? Sure. Well, if you don't have to, you know, but, right. but like for me, when, when we opened the business, I started for the first three years, I was at 24,000 a year. My business partner took nothing the first year just because to help grow the business right. and he didn't need the money. So that was just a very generous thing on it, on his part, you know, but in all honesty, my wages didn't go up. in the first 10 years because it was like, what is the bare minimum I can live on? Right. You know, and then after quite a while, I jumped it up quite a bit. But, you know, I think it was a really good thing because most people don't think about how much the little things add up. Um, Just as an example, we used to have some franchise stores. And one of those stores um, was somebody I knew real well. I'm not going to say who this was, but, you know, when when they moved in and started this business, they used to work for me and... And, you know, when you're working for somebody, the toilet paper is always on the roll and the light bulbs are screwed in. Yeah. But when you have to start buying those things yourself, they, they get expensive. I mean, right. it's only $5 here and $10 there. But throughout the year, that adds up to two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. And, and uh, you know, well, I'm making good money. I, I can afford to go buy the, the better printer or the better this. Well, if you don't buy the better this... That five thousand dollars a year that you were conservative on over the course of ten years is fifty thousand dollars. Right, that's, and when that's inventory money, fifty turns into a hundred or more, depending on what you're doing in your inventory. Yeah. Hopefully, and and uh, so I think this is a good thing for for newer or kind of that you know three four years in folks to hear is yeah you start a business because you want to work for yourself and you have lofty dreams as far as your income and and your retirement and what all that stuff is going to look like, but along with having those lofty dreams you have to have conservative financial approaches. Absolutely. Otherwise, those financial dreams that you have don't ever materialize. You blow it all along the way. So I think it's really important for folks to hear a guy who's sitting here saying, I'm doing really well right now, but I was I was counting. Struggled for a long I time. Was, <laughs> for 10 years, I made $24,000 a year to get to where I'm at. That's I think that's a pretty important piece. Anyhow, so I, I interrupted you right about the time you were going to talk about 2008 and what that meant for you. 2008 meant... Uh, by then, we were doing pretty good. We had a lot of inventory. We still weren't paying ourselves a lot of money, but we had built up inventory. 
and and had our warehouse, which at the time was a 900 square foot garage with two 40 foot containers sitting outside of it. Yeah, you know, it, it was it was very affordable that way. Right, um, but that I, I think everything crashed at the end of 2008, wasn't it? Yeah, something like that. So between there and the end of 2009, we lost about 150 thousand dollars, which for a business that still tried to grow was a huge amount of money. Right, you know, a huge amount of money. And at that time, my business partner said, you know what, I'm out. I don't need to do this. I don't need to take any losses. I'm comfortable at my point in my life. I've got my, uh, by then he was retired from a union job and and retired at uh, 62 or 63, whatever. So he had his retirement, his social security and whatever paycheck the business was bringing. Right. All I had was the business. And so, and also in 2009, I got divorced. So there's, you know, I'm not going to go into that, but there wasn't a huge financial hit there, but all this piled on at once, which is on top of the financial uh, aspect of it, the stress aspect on top of a normal business stress aspect, it it was pretty huge. And so at that time, the end of 2009, uh, my partner and I, we inventoried everything and and decided on a number of what it was worth and, and made a deal to buy him out. Right. Um, and we can come back to, to more of the story, but it took me until 2016 to buy him out because it was still so seven, a fair amount seven of years or so. Yeah, 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 roughly seven years. Yeah, you know, in, in the worst economy that I've ever seen in in, in a business life, anyhow. Right, so, right, right. Uh, and and we had a lot of inventory, so it was a lot of money. But um, that's that's was the worst hit I hope I ever seen. Sure, but but I think the the silver lining here is because you had been so conservative at that point. You had the means to do it. I think you're right, and, and if, if we hadn't been conservative, it probably would have just killed. It would have, yeah, it would have entirely. imploded. Yeah, yeah. So I yeah, think that's definitely. a silver lining, especially for folks listening now. Here we are in 2019. Depending on how the election, you know, all that stuff affects the economy and things like that. Well, we've been on a run for several years now. Pretty good things. Things are and, growing and slowly, anyhow. Yeah, but but we're you know we're we're never more than six months to six years away from the next recession. So exactly, it's coming exactly. whether we like it or not. Um, I think it's good for folks listening now to to be reminded of that because just because things are fantastic today doesn't mean they're going to be that way in 18 months. And if you don't have those reserves and that conservative approach, you're in you're in deep trouble. It absolutely doesn't mean that. And and you know I think you're you're talking about a, a, an economy that's doing pretty good locally. But if somebody's listening to this and they're in uh, Podunk, Kansas, yeah. There's only about 10 or 12 pockets in this country that are doing what we are here in the Seattle area right now. Right. Everybody else is still pretty pretty depressed a little so ironically my mom is listening in Poduck, kansas that's where she lives it's, it's <laughs> yeah. a, a little town in kansas that's funny um okay so you you get through the buyout of your partner you get through the recession ish and then where, where are you at now in your in your growth um well i think i i think the next part of the story here i guess would be after buying part of the deal with with buying my partner out was he wanted to keep working just to stay busy you know which was okay, and it's great to have a partner that you work well with until that partner decides that drinking is more fun than most of the rest of their life. Yeah. Um, And and what we're talking about at this point is, you know, a business partner is a second wife, regardless, male, female, whatever. Yeah. You're that wrapped up and that involved in things. And as a general rule, I think for small business owners, anyhow, your business partner is probably a really good friend of yours. And mine certainly was. Right. Uh, and, and alcohol really kind of tore that apart. And in the end, I wound up having to fire my best friend and ex business partner and kick him out of the building, you know, and 
in in terms of negatives, that uh, that kind of messed with my head for several months, and sure. it was hard to get past. And, and I got it. Somebody just bring up his name, I just tense up. Yeah, you and know? get that so, knot in your stomach, and exactly, yeah, exactly. And the, and the countless sleepless nights along the way of how am I going to handle this? And oh my gosh, tomorrow's the day I have to have this conversation and with yeah. whoever. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It just goes on and on. The list is endless to the, uh, to the I think that's, I that. think that's something else for, for people listening. Uh, people ask me all the time what it's like to have partners. And I tell them it's, I, I see my partners more than I see my spouse. I see my partner more than it's I see the truth. My, I see my partners more than I see my kids. That better be a solid relationship. Now we're not going to agree on everything all the time. And we have some heated exchanges that, but we all have the belief, in my case anyway, we all have the belief that we're looking out for the best interests of the company and each other. So even though we don't agree on the how, we agree on the why, and we agree on the need to. And I think that's that's really all you can expect. In the end, you're hopefully going to get the results that are best from the company, right, more right, so than anything. Right. And, but I think that um, people always say, well, I always heard that uh, you know partnerships are terrible and things like that. And they certainly can be, especially when you add something like alcohol that, you know, that Anybody who's facing a problem like that is going to, you know, bring the whole Any thing down. Any addiction is going to screw things yeah, up. Yeah, it's going to exactly. screw it's gonna, And, you know, one of the things with, with partnerships and employees in general is people, I think people lose sight of the fact that these are relationships. They're not romantic relationships necessarily, but the same rules still apply. A relationship is a relationship is a relationship. And communication is what to a relationship? Yeah, the key it's, to it's everything. the key to everything, right. Uh, so, you know, yeah. And when it, somebody's head is not there due to an outside influence, yeah. that communication is gone too. Right, so. right, right, right. So yeah, so you end up having to fire your former business partner, and uh, that that sucks. Uh, no, I'm sure definitely sucks. And then uh, um, and then where where do you go from there? Well, I think I got to back up a little bit because I think I lost track of things here a little bit. So 2010 is when we made the deal to buy him out, um, and then I kind of looked around. By that time, we had a big warehouse, and not only was the warehouse for our store, but there was two franchise stores. So there was a lot of inventory that had been built up to cover three stores. Well, after 2008, those two franchise stores went away. They just right. didn't survive anymore. So now I'm looking at this huge warehouse of inventory. It's like, well, what am I going to do here? I, I, I can't sell this much and the internet, you know, I'm, I'm just not quite there with the internet yet. And so I, uh, I opened another store, found another building and leased that in Puyallup. Um, and that was in, in, uh, March or so of 2011. And then about October, November of 11, another guy called from that owned a store downtown Tacoma that was tool town that had been there for 20 plus years and bought that store. Right. And also now I went from in a year's time, went from one store to three stores and in a bad economy, no less. Yeah. You know yeah. I mean? So well, you're getting, you're getting them on the cheap. That's the good news of getting things like this in a bad economy is you're, exactly. you're, you're getting a discount. Well, that, that, that store I bought in Tacoma, I bought the property and an existing store full of tools and I bought it so cheap. Either the property was free or the inventory was free, right. no matter how you want to look at yeah, it. Yeah. Um, and it did good for a while. And, and the one in Pallup did good for a while, but like everything else, things change, yep. you know, uh, times change, the economy changes. And from a from a retail business standpoint, every year the internet is is ticking away at, at your sales. And and you know you hear Amazon say where well, our sales were up thirteen percent for the year. Well, that doesn't mean that thirteen percent is being taken away from retail on an individual store's basis. But if they take a half a percent for ten years in a row, that's five right. percent. Right. If at the end of the year you only make eight percent of your overall gross. Five percent, you're you've it's lost. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah, you lost sixty five percent. Right, so, right, right, right. Um, you know, so by by the end of last year, 
Um, I closed the store in, in Tacoma and leased that piece of property out. So that's all dealt with. So it went from a very small negative to a, to a positive. Good. Uh, not for the business so much because I bought that personally. So, yeah, <laughs> right. Know, that's a good for me. <laughs> yeah, you know yeah, what I mean? right. Uh, and I would recommend to anybody that's going to buy a property, if you can, buy it yourself right. and lease it back to the business. Yep. You yep. know, and cover your butt so if something happens with the business, you don't lose the property. Right. But anyhow, uh, the store in Puyallup, it was losing a lot of money. Uh, you know, just that overtime, the internet taking some sales away. A Harbor Freight opened a mile away. They took maybe 15%. Well, when you right. stack all that together, it's a big negative. Yeah. Um, last year, that place was losing several thousand dollars a month. And... Uh, the landlord wouldn't let me out of my lease. I offered him $10,000 to let me out of my lease. Right. And and I wouldn't move out until he found a new renter. They still wouldn't do it. Wow. Uh, so anyhow, I wound up riding the lease out till March of this year, shut that store down. So now back to one store, still the same huge warehouse with probably more inventory than it's ever had. Uh, on the upside, I, along the way, as all this has went along, I'm also selling on the internet because you have to these days. Right. What else are you going to do? Yep. And so... That's become a big part of the company now. Um, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah. So so the internet part is growing. The retail part is ever shrinking. It really is shrinking. And even, even the existing you know main store, the, the one that we started with, is you know the sales are just flat. They, uh, they're flat. That's what they are. You yeah. Know? It's making money, but, but it's making a lot of money can, now. If you can keep a retail store flat right now, that's a win. And you can take your your you know some t- some of your time and and do the internet stuff and. And uh, make some money there, and kind of you know dip into both pools. Why not? You know, sure. what, what you for know, sure. well, that's, that's what I'm doing for sure. Yeah. You know, yeah, so, um, yeah. Well, that no, I mean, I, I guess my point is that it, it, at any time you can't be focused on one thing. You have to be diversifying all the time. I guess is what my point was is is um, if you're if you're solely focused on one thing, especially in retail, you're in trouble. And conversely, if you only focus on the internet stuff, that's pretty fickle as well. So good luck only focusing on that. I think I think. My point is, I think you have a good balance with what you're doing. I think for several years, I lost a lot of focus on the business. Having three stores of my own and doing the internet and making money, but not making necessarily enough money to hire uh, somebody to tend to say just the internet and so that I could focus solely on retail. Right. So I was wearing 12 hats and doing everything okay, but not doing anything great. Yeah. But by closing those two stores, it's allowed me to focus on you know, on the internet sales more so because the retail store kind of runs itself. Sure. The employees have been there a long time. They know what they're doing. I'm rarely there. I probably don't spend two hours a month total at right. the retail location because I don't have to. Yeah. So you've got, uh, you've got key employees in there that are running it. Correct. Have you ever lost a key employee and, and uh, had a struggle with that? Very recently, just in the last few weeks. Yeah. And uh very important employee. And, and, you know, it just, how it went down is, is irrelevant. The fact of the matter is that, that I lost a very important employee and, and he would not come back. And so trying to hire somebody that's eight, been there to replace somebody that's been there for eight years is very difficult. Uh, I don't have a lot of faith in the younger generation's worth ec- ethics these days, yeah. not to knock anybody specifically, but uh, I, I kind of made a commitment that I wouldn't hire anybody under 40 a few years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and I, and I broke that rule last week and I hired a 23 year old right? And, and she seems to be working out just fine. So Good. kudos for her. Yeah. You know? Um, so you mentioned, uh, um, 
when you got three stores going and you're doing the internet sales, you're kind of doing everything okay. You're not doing any one thing well. What what was happening to get your attention there, or was it just dumb luck that the economy and things changed and you had to shut the other two stores down and you were forced to focus more on on things, or was that kind of a conscious think, thing? One day we woke up and said, "I'm not doing things very well. I need to refocus." I think I knew that for a long time without question. Um, I think you've had Mark Anderson on your show yeah. before. Uh, from the Profit Growth Initiative. And, and I met with Mark and sat down and did some stuff with him. And and he pointed that out too. And I already knew it. But I didn't know what to do to take that next step. You right. know, in, in reality, Brian, I've got a I've got a ninth grade education. I went two months into 10th grade. I've got a GD. That's it. I've got a lot of street smarts. But formal education, I don't have it. I've right. certainly got it, no business training yeah. uh, whatsoever other than you know business I was doing. Yeah, you know yeah, yeah. I mean? so, so in terms of uh, sometimes it's a struggle for me to figure out how to get to that next step uh, without somebody from the outside kind of stepping in and saying, Hey, you know, maybe you should try this or, or, or uh, even listening to a podcast like this. Sometimes you get the idea that, Hey, you know what? That's what I need to do. And, right. and, and something just clicks in your head. And I, and I never got that, I guess is what I'm getting at. And so the, the economy doing its own thing is really kind of what pushed me there, I guess. I think one of the things that, you know, uh, and I don't have any formal business training either. Everything I've done has been OJT. I, I, graduated high school but you know beyond that I went right to work and and had no aspirations at high school of starting a business and things like that I think one of the things that people struggle with when they run a business is knowing when to trust your gut and when not to you never know always. it's always it's always a challenge and always. so I think I think the benefit for having an outside voice like and Mark's a great guy to have do this um, having that outside voice is to a you know verify what your gut is telling you is right and then giving you the thus, thus giving you the courage to act on that because you could kind of have the gut feeling that this is what I need to do, but until you know you're really right, you know you're going to make that leap that's going to be a, a forty, fifty, or hundred thousand dollar investment to get to that next level. And then if you're wrong, well now what? Now I'm going to be crawling out of this hole for three years, and meanwhile still not having solving my problem, and <laughs> still doing things poorly or average, you know, mediocre or whatever. Uh, I think it's just nice to have that outside voice or somebody to come in and say, yeah, come on, you, you know this is right. Here's what it you is. need to do, and, uh, and uh, somebody and to be accountable it. to is is kind. Of, and you know what? I've had nobody to be accountable to for years, and in all honesty, that's a bad thing. You know, yeah, it's, it's of uh, I've heard some people that I know talk about they work with you know whatever friend of theirs, and they meet every two weeks or a week or a month. Yeah, and uh, well, what if you could call a place? Yeah, I yeah. don't have that at all. You know, I talk to myself in my own head, I guess. Right, you know? but. Uh, the other thing that a lot of people don't understand about business and trying to figure these things out is. As a business owner, you work 24 hours a day. Sounds good to own your own business, but the reality is when your employees go home, they go home to their wives, their kids, whatever their life happens to be after work. When you go home, you think about, oh man, you know, we got to make payroll this week and yeah. it's been tough and, right. and uh, you know, we're out of this inventory and there's no money to rebuy it or all these things. And they're all going in your head all the time. So um, you lose sleep and you lose, uh, you lose focus because you're, you're, you kind of get distracted by by your own problems, uh, whether they're personal or business problems. So you, you don't focus maybe on the business things that you need to because the the problems are at the forefront. I right. Guess is what I'm going to ask. Well, yeah. I mean, it's it's you know one of again everybody starts businesses for their own reasons. They have grand visions of what it's going to be, and then you're you get you know six months into it and you think okay it's really rough right now it's going to pass. And then you get a year and a half into it and okay well it's still kind of bumpy but it's a little bit better than it was a year ago and but this is going to pass. And I don't think you ever get out of that phase where you're just putting fires out all the time. 
you might have different fires you're putting out, and you might have different layers of supervisors and managers on your staff that can handle a lot of the things. But still, the buck stops in one place. and, and In the end, it's all you. And problems <laughs> happen, and they don't happen always Tuesdays at 1130 when it's convenient. They happen at all. You know, you're your place to get robbed Saturday night at 2 a.m., and you got to deal with that. And, and I think that that's um, a notion that business owners are naive thought that they have going in, that someday it's all going to be sunshine and unicorns, and they don't realize that really putting out fires is the job. They just, that, that is a job. It doesn't matter what level it or really what stage is. you're in. This is the job. So if you don't dig that kind of thing, that's not your style. The same for you, right? It, it's not. You know, <laughs> it's not. Um, and, and, and the other thing, you know, I don't know about you personally, Brian. I know a lot of business owners, and and uh, it's hard to have a life outside the business. It's yeah. hard to have a group of close friends it, it, because your time is so eaten up. There's no time for those friends, and you, you don't have time to commit to them. And so yeah. your, your relationships uh, outside of work are, are pretty minimal. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, you've been doing this a long time. I think yeah. you're probably the same. Yeah, way, no, there, there's no question for me. Um, there was a couple different things that went into that. One, that I very distinctly remember when I announced to the world I was going to start a business with my two partners at, the t- at that time. Um, there was kind of a, 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 a sense around me from my my sphere of influence of, yeah, man, go stick it to the man. Like, you're going to show him, right? And then um, I over the course of the next three years, I didn't have time to do anything. I, we, first of all, we're in a 24-7 business, and so – that means I'm 24-7, whether I like it or not. Period. Um, and so I didn't have any time to, to commit to those relationships. And so I just kind of they just kind of drifted away. And then at the end of that three to four year period, where it became evident that we were we were having some level of success, things were going well. And it the mentality around me went from, yeah, stick it to the man to, well, you kind of are the man now. And <laughs> I don't want to hang out with the man. And that was something that was a little tough for me to get through on a personal side where I had some very good friendships that just kind of eroded because I had to change my way of thinking. I had to change my goals. I had to change my approach to things. It wasn't this kind of blue-collar, we're all stuck in the trench together mentality anymore. I was having thoughts about, you know, what's my life? Getting out of the trench. Getting out of that. And (laughs) and the folks who didn't want to get out with me resented the fact that I was trying to get out. And so kind of, for me, it was kind of a combination of those things where, one, I, I had a period of time for multiple years there where I just didn't have any time to commit to relationships, and they just kind of dried up. They just yeah, kind of faded. Fade and, and that's, you know, that's, that's you know, right or wrong. That was a conscious choice I made that I wanted to grow this business, and I wanted to plan for my future, and that meant I was going to invest less in those relationships. So I, I, I can't very well blame them for that. That was my choice. And when people stop hanging out with you, they you go off find other friends. That's just, you know, we're, we're social creatures. That's how we operate. So... Um, but for me, I do remember that part where it kind of became from people cheering for me to kind of give me that kind of raised eyebrow, like, Hmm, wait a second, you got 15 or 20 employees now. Well, you, you kind of are that guy I bitch about all the time. (laughs) But you know what, if, if if those people are like that, they probably really weren't your friends anyhow. Right. The the reality of it is it's like bar friends. Yeah. Bar friends are not bar friends. When you're gone, they could give a shit less if you're there or not. Right. Yeah. No, I, I, you, you nailed it there. I think, I think it's very, very similar. There's no question. So anyhow, enough about me back, back to you. So you're, you're, you're running these three stores. You you got your attention everywhere. You kind of mentioned one of the things you've learned along the way was kind of coming into grips with some arrogance. Talk, talk to us about that a little bit. Well, when things start going really well, you, you kind of get a feeling that you know you're doing good. You're, I'm not going to say that you can't do any wrong, but but you kind of you kind of feel like you know 
I can make my own decisions. I don't need that outside influence anymore. And, and, and in my particular case, it meant starting to do things differently. And there was things that worked for me really well over the years, regardless of what else happened uh, in terms of where I was purchasing from and how I was purchasing. And since the internet has become such a big part of business, um, you know, buying discounted inventory that you can put on the internet is a good way to make good margins. Yeah. Uh, regardless of the sales price, it, 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 everything comes down to margins in the end, you know, and volume. Um, but then I was like, well, if I start importing things myself in my own brand, and that, that's kind of what I was talking about with some arrogance is having stuff in my own brand. Yes, it gave me some margin uh, that was really good, but it didn't give me near the margin I was making before right. uh, buying discounted inventory. And, and that's always how I've done really well is buying discounted inventory. And, and I got away from that for a couple of years. And the amount of money that I spent bringing stuff in in my own packaging and whatnot, uh, I could have bought five times as much stuff buying it the other way. Yeah. And then, unfortunately, I went through all the legal steps and the proper steps for my, my trademark. Well, all of a sudden, now I've got eighty or hundred thousand dollars worth of inventory sitting that I've direct imported in my own packaging, and now I've got an attorney getting a hold of me from back east saying, "Hey, your uh, your trademark violates our trademark." And I right. went, I had attorneys check all this. the uh, The government did their thing and okayed everything, and and so now I got this guy going, "Well, you can't use this." And so we start doing research. They've had this trademark since the seventies. Wow like five different ways. And, and so then I've got to deal with, I can't sell this online in this packaging. I mean, there's just so much involved. So now I'm a few thousand dollars into buying new packaging. With yeah. A repackaging. Name on yeah. Sure. All the labor and just on and on and on. So I, that's what I was getting at with the arrogance is, is you kind of start having some success and, and change what you're doing maybe a little bit due to that success and get away from what actually worked for you. Well, right. That's just stupid. Well, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I mean, yeah, I mean, it's stupid if you if you created your business in the process. However, uh, you talked about Amazon. Amazon would still be selling books if they didn't try a few different things and, and didn't have a little bit of that arrogance and say, well, hey, this has gone really well. What if we do this also? So I, I agree with you that if you if you completely derail your business in the process of trying to be something much grander, yeah, that's not smart. However, if you try things in moderation, and you try to expand. I mean, what what if that brand would have taken off? What if that trademark hadn't been an issue? What if you were now selling sixteen million dollars a month in that in your own trademark stuff? Well, you'd look back on that and say that was that was a pretty <laughs> smart investment, right? Exactly. Yeah, so you're right. I, you're I, right. I, I I think that uh, this is and again, this is one of the things that that business owners go through is is when do you trust your gut and when don't you? I mean, that, that for me, that's eighty percent of the job. From a financial standpoint, it's certainly in margins and all that stuff. It was an okay decision. It just didn't work out like I expected it to, I guess. And due to my conservativeness, yes, I spent a lot of money doing this over the course of a year and a half or two years. But when you're spending ten, fifteen, twenty thousand dollars at a time and you can afford it, yeah, it, it's it's not quite so bad, you know. Right. And and the whole conservative thing, once again, it's not going to kill me, you know. It's just. I could have made a better decision with that money is, is what it amounts to. Yeah. Well, in hindsight, you know that. But again, if it, was ta- if it would have taken off, then yeah, yeah. You, you'd be, you, you wouldn't have time for my little podcast, that's for there sure. There you go. <laughs> so, uh, Unfortunately, I'm here with you, Brian. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm sorry, I'm sorry about your bad luck. <laughs> yeah. um, for, and, and one thing I do want to throw out before I forget, 
ninth grade education or not, uh, I think you're a super bright guy. You've done some pretty amazing things. I hope you're really proud of yourself and what you've accomplished. You've, you've done, I, I think your story is awesome. I think I it's super that. fascinating. I think it's, it's uh, um, you know, you hear the tale about how the American, or you hear the, the people talk about how the American dream is dying. For, for me, I, like you are the American dream. I mean, this, this I, I get kind of goosebumps kind of thinking about what you've, what well, you what came done. through, the same thing, kind of. Yeah, yeah but not. I mean, yeah, well, well, yes, but um, I just I, I admire what you've done. I guess I what appreciate I'm saying. that. Uh, one one last word. We're just about out of time here. One last thing I want to ask you. Um, after everything you've been through, and you and I again, we're kind of talking about this before we started. Um, I doubt you have a whole lot of tolerance for people who tell you they can't get things done. When when people start around you, start kind of this. Well, I can't, and I you know, and life's too hard, and. And look at that guy; he had it easier. Look at her; her family left her a pile of money. I, why, you know, I can't do that kind of stuff. Having knowing what you've overcome in your life, what, what, how do you react to that? Do you, does it just piss you off, or do you give them it advice? It does just that, piss me off. It absolutely does. And most of the time, I don't say anything because it's not going to get you anywhere. Right. It, sometimes I do if if it's maybe somebody a little younger. But if you got a forty year old right. using these kind of excuses for where they're at they're probably not going to get anywhere because they're at a point in their life where they're not going to change. But maybe, right. maybe somebody in their twenties coming up with a reason is like, you know what? Like you said, where I came from and what I was doing and got away from, uh, anything is possible. You know, it, it's about want, it's about desire. It's about, and it's also about suffering, you know? And that's, I think that's part of the problem is most people don't want to not take that paycheck for a year or, or have to eat rice and top ramen for six months to be able to get to that next step. Yeah. I, I can think of one guy in particular right now that, that designed a product and wanted me to put it in the store. And this guy's just working out of his house. And he came back like four different times. And I finally told him, I said, what is your problem? I told you you could put this in here and I would pay you for the product, you know, regardless of whether it sells or not, I'll buy a couple dozen just to see. And, and it's just excuse after excuse. And, and I finally looked at the guy and I said, you know, every time you've showed up here, you've been high as hell. Yeah. You know, maybe you should quit smoking pot and spend the money on inventory. And, and so you can move forward with this. Right. You know, it's some people just aren't going to get there. Yeah, know? no, I agree. <laughs> just, and and I, I think you I think you nailed it with the, the suffering part is. And again, because we convince ourselves before we start the business that we're immediately going to go through a short term period of, of, of misery. And then everything's and, and everything be, be sunshine unicorns. Doesn't and happen. then when that doesn't happen, um, it, your, your stories that you've told yourself and what's what reality is for you don't match. And people how they react to that 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 not being aligned, um, I think that dictates a lot. And people who aren't willing to endure and know that they're making an investment in a longer term plan, uh, and you know it's you know it's kind of our our society right now. Everything is instant gratification, and that's it that's, is inst- it's the instant gratification generation. Yeah, and that's kind of what uh, why why folks are struggling with this. And you got you got to own you got to be willing to own your own problems too. If you created the problem, own it and move on and, and and fix it. You know, don't don't blame it on everybody else. It's your fault. Right, right. Ownership. Ownership. Ownership's yeah, ownership. a big piece of it. it ownership. And, and it's right in the title of the, uh, being a business owner is ownership. There you go. <laughs> ownership. Own, own it. Own all of it. Right. Know, successes or failures. Well, hey, Mark, I really want to thank you for coming in. Again, uh, I think you're a super awesome guy, and your story's fantastic. I'm super happy for the success you've had. Uh, for those of you listening, just a reminder, Pro Tool Supply is at 8638 Pacific Avenue in Tacoma, or give them a call at 253-539-5579. Um, make sure you tune in next week. We're going to have Karen Rosenswag on to talk about how to use social media to promote your business. So you'll want to tune in for that. If you're like me and 
don't know or didn't know until I met Karen how to use LinkedIn and all those different things. And we'll talk to her about all kinds of all, all kinds of stuff on social media and what, what the purpose is and how to get the most out of that. Um, again, thanks, Mark, for coming in. I really appreciate having thanks you. Thanks for having me, Brian. And uh, that's all for today. We'll talk to you all next week.